welcome to the Dinosaur Man Nerdcast. I'm Andy Hughes. I'm here with Alex Hudson. High energy, as always. Always high energy. <laughs> that is the motto of this podcast. A B E. Always be energy. <laughs> always be energy, because energy is for closers. <laughs> that's not the. That's not a quote. It's cookies are for closers. That's the uh, tagline of the year. Still. As voted for by me. Welcome to our midweek episode of News and Reviews, where today we will be doing just reviews. Yeah, there's been nothing newsworthy this week. Well, there, there has been news. No, no. If we say that there's been nothing new, we make the news. We're like uh, <laughs> Jonathan Price in Tomorrow Never Dies. <laughs> Elliot Carver, the character's name is. Do you remember this? <laughs> Tomorrow's News Today. You remember that? <laughs> Because he has the newspaper, and he writes the news headlines because he commits atrocities. I see. Do you not remember the plot of the Tomorrow fantastically dies, plotted no. Tomorrow Never Dies? It is not a great James um, Bond film. There, ha- there has been some news, but oh, we're basically just well, gonna... Speaking of James Bond, let's just briefly mention, Daniel Craig's returning one more time. Let's get this shit done, he said. <laughs> Maybe. Get me out of this goddamn contract. <clears throat> but basically, we've seen a lot of films over the last week. Um, yes. And we thought... The best way to deal with this situation is just do a whole episode of reviews. Just jump on in there. So, where do you want to start? Well, let's start with the easiest one to review, which is Annabelle Creation, which I saw you didn't because you're not a horror fan. Because I'm scared. And I considered not seeing because I am a horror fan. Um, <laughs> so, Annabelle Creation is the the prequel to Annabelle from 2014, which in turn was a prequel to The Conjuring from 2013. Mm. Since Annabelle, we've then had The Conjuring 2, the Enfield haunting, or Enfield case, I think it was called, which was terrible. (laughs) And now we've got this, and then we've got two more films on their way, plus a Conjuring 3. Because one of them's the nun film. Yes, the nun, who was one of the characters from Conjuring 2, has got her own (laughs) spin-off. And as has the crooked man from the conjuring too. So this is now this is now what they what they're referring to as the conjuring verse um which is an extended sort of what I think what they're aiming to do is just basically build out from the the warrens as your main characters yeah. and then focus on cases that they did and they don't make appearances necessarily as as your protagonist but they're all loosely related to to base cases that they have. Um, mm-hmm. So this this basically tells the story of the origin of this haunted, possessed doll. Um, a man and a woman um, lose their daughter in a horrible accident and decide that what they would like to do is open up their home as an orphanage. Yeah, and of course this invites. A lot of children, which is never a good sign in a horror film. Mm-hmm. Children, usually a bad sign. Uh, especially when combined with dolls that have been possessed. No. Um, Don't do it. So, the, what I will say is, it's it's nothing groundbreaking. Okay. But we kind of knew that, I think, going in. Um, it's directed by David F. Sandberg, who did Lights Out last year. Which, which was a huge smash in terms of uh, box office and... Actually, did relatively well critically. I didn't. I I didn't enjoy it as much as some people did, but um, certainly in terms of a nuts and bolts horror movie, it did the job it needed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
at its best, that's what Annabelle's able to do here. The Annabelle creation has has been directed efficiently enough to make it work. Yeah. And to be honest, that's that's all it really needs to do because so often that so often in a year you get those horror films that are badly constructed and it means that anything that isn't badly constructed looks great in comparison. And as a result, Annabelle Creation probably will stand out as one of the better ones of that sort of film. Mm-hmm. It is still jump scary, not to the uh, I think less so than some of the others in this franchise, but I think the the way in which it's put together works enough. You've got the components there to make it for for a non horror literate audience. Yeah. I think this will be perfectly scary. Mm-hmm. So it's a recommend if you're if you're in for a cheap scare, and believe me, they are cheap scares. <laughs> but if you're if you're in for that, and you're someone who doesn't really experiment with the genre more than once a year, mm. let's say this is the film for you. Did it work for you though? Uh, to a point. Yeah. <laughs> to a point. I mean, it's. You, it's not going to trouble my best, but it certainly isn't in the worst, and mm. that's that's something that Annabelle, the original, doesn't necessarily hold because it was badly made. It's quite interesting that a prequel to that film has actually turned out to be a better, a yeah. Better I mean, film. I don't know. I don't know whether this will then give. I mean, it's done incredibly well overseas. Mm. In you know, we're in a quiet box office period at the moment, but it did thirty-five million over the weekend in the US. That's a huge return no for a movie, horror film. Is it? So I think we're we're looking at potentially uh, a franchise that still has legs, and particularly with as many strands as they're going into now, mm. I would be I'm slightly concerned that they're going to stretch it too thin. Yeah, but no, Animal Creation works to a point. Will work much more for people who don't see horror films. Okay, uh, let's move on. Where do you want to go to next? Well, let's do Valerian and the House of a Thousand Corpses slash City of a Thousand Planets. Slash City of a Thousand Horses. Yes, slash Meal of a Thousand Courses. (laughs) Uh, So, (laughs) do you want to take it first or should I? Okay, so Valerian um, and the City of a Thousand thousand Planets, as it's really called. Oh, I actually did just say Thousand Corpses again. (laughs) Um, Directed by Rob Zombie. It's it's a film directed by Luc Besson, best known for really The Fifth Element. Yeah. Um, it is based on a French-Belgian comic book all about a space traveller. And the story of Valerian, as the film goes, is Valerian is an agent who travels with his partner, Laureline, to basically have to... What does the plot to save somebody? Like, I'm trying to think how to say it without actually spoiling what the main... Conceit is. I'm quite actually struggling to remember exactly what the plot is. They, they're basically brought into a top secret mission, and their yeah, job call is it to that. try. Keep it nice and vague. And their job is to try and succeed. Um, now, one thing you could say about this, if you've seen any of the trailers, is it's very sci-fi. Yes, it's very kind of space sci-fi as well. It's got all different types of creatures, all different types of locations. Um, what did you think? Uh, it, it's interesting, and I think that's about the limit you can go to with it. I mm-hmm. think it's interesting. There, there are bits of it that are good, and there are bits of it that are really not good. Um, and interestingly, the balance sometimes tips in one way, and then definitely tips the other way again. Yeah. So you're never quite sure where you are with this film. I think what it gets right, I think Luke Besson is clearly someone who has a lot of passion 
for the source material and, you know, cited the um, Valerian and Laureline comics as huge influences when he was making Fifth Element. And that shows it not only in this, but also in the Fifth Element. Mm-hmm. Thinking back to it now, you can see what he's trying to do with certain stuff. So for me, I think the stuff that works here is where Luke Besson is sort of allowed to do his thing and goes slightly crazy with it all. Um, so there is a there is a scene that takes place in um, Pleasure Valley or what do we? I think it's called Pleasure Alley or something. like Pleasure that. Pleasure Alley, Pleasure Valley, it's something like that. But it's, it's sort kind of, of like the seedy space, underworld, space red light district. Yeah, exactly, and. At that moment in the film, I was kind of like, oh, okay, this is this is the film that I kind of expected to be seeing the whole way through. Mm-hmm. Because you've got bright lights and bright colours everywhere, and you've got all these different aliens and all these different levels of um, society kind of mixing in together. And that stuff works for me. And not only that, but um, Ethan Hawke's performance as John the Pimp. the best time. Oh, my God. He's, I mean, he's just enjoying himself. Um, and then likewise, there, there's a bit uh, uh, on a planet where they go to this place called Big Market that operates on sort of two different levels of reality. I did like the Big Market stuff, the kind of... The, uh, the whole concept of it is really interesting. It reminded me a lot of, um, there's a game called Titanfall 2, where they've got a level that's very much that sort of thing, where you right. flip between two different types of reality. Um, yeah. And it's probably one of the most fun levels I've played on a video game, so it reminded me of that. Yeah, so. and so you see this scene play out from two different levels of uh, sort of planes of existence i suppose and that that is the stuff that works well the stuff that doesn't work well is the you know the script is clunking to describe it is awful to describe it in in a sort of generous i'm not going to be generous the script is Mm. awful but i think the thing is what it has this weird aesthetic of okay you've got these two main characters valerian and laureline valerian Mm. is acted in one of the weirdest ways I've ever seen. He's by Dane DeHaan. I, th- I, I came out of this, and I, the first thing I said to you was, "This film relies heavily on you believing there's chemistry between Dane DeHaan's uh, Valerian and Cara Delevingne's Laureline." Mm. That is not there. There is no. no chemistry between those two, and at times Dane DeHaan is unwatchable in this film. Yes, he is exceptionally poor in this film. Like, and there are there are a number of people who are poor in this film. He is exceptionally poor in this mm-hmm. film, and that's not saying. I mean, that is saying much because Cara Delevingne stands out as a shining jewel in this film. And as we know from Suicide Squad, that was not the expectation coming no. into this film. Um, yeah, and I think I think the problem lies in the fact that if you've got fundamentally miscast leads, particularly your lead, mm. you know, your title character. How how am I supposed to connect with it as an audience member? Well, the problem is, they try to play Valerian as this cocky, um, kind of suave, ladies' man, Lafario sort of character mm. um, who's got all your quips and everything. But the thing is, they're basically trying to make him Han Solo. Yes. And he doesn't... Pl- he cannot play that part as Han Solo. Yeah, it's like... Oh, if you were Han Solo with no charm or charisma, then yes, you've mm. achieved Han Solo. But Han Solo has charm and is, I think there are actors out there who could play that part yeah. exactly how you wanted it. But I don't think Dane DeHaan's that man. No, and I I think the the direction that he took the performance was uh was woefully misguided and I think as a result impacts negatively on the rest of the film. 
but I, I would say that the stuff that still works is the stuff that has nothing to do with that performance and those performances at the centre of it or the script. It's the visual stuff. It's it's the sense of this this space station contains so many different worlds. So you see him crashing yeah. through a wall into another world, into no, another that, world. That bit, once again, is great. Like, there's a couple of moments mm. that are great. But my main gripe with this film is it is completely style over substance. Yeah. Like, and even the the pretty kind of, oh, look, there's a different type of alien. Got boring after about half hour. After about half hour, I was like, yes, you've given me a new alien or you've given me a new type of thing. But you're giving me no story here that it is literally there to grab me. I've, I felt no attachment to what is going on on screen. That I was legitimately bored. And it's hard to be bored in a film that shows you such new ideas about where, where the universe could go, you know. It's like sitting through Star Wars and being like, and he goes into Mozart's Cantina and being like, oh yeah, I'm really bored now. Mm. That shouldn't be the case because everything should be interesting. Yeah. But I got about half hour into this film and went, why do I care about any of this? Mm. Like that first scene is really nice. They've got an opening scene where they show you why this city of thousand planets exists. Yeah. Like how it was, it was basically built out of the... The International Space Station. And it just kept building <clears> on from there. And as time went by, alien life forms then started joining onto it until it became this big mass and they pushed it out into space. Yeah. And I thought, that's a really nice idea. And that's probably the last time I was actually interested in anything that went on. Right. Because after that point, it just became a nothing film. Yeah. There was hints at stuff that could be interesting. Like, they brought in... Um, like, John Goodman plays a character who seems to be a mob boss. Yeah. And he basically makes a threat towards Valerian. But it's never followed up. Mm. To the point where you go, is that just in case you get a sequel? Because I don't think this is going to get a sequel. No. I don't think it will. I think it won't do... It hasn't done well enough in in its box office to warrant that. Um, I mean, I would say that I, I think I found it more entertaining than you did in terms mm. of the scale of it impressed me and the fact that he clearly has a, a vision for what he wanted this to be. And I will maintain that it's still a better sci-fi film than Star Wars because Star Wars is essentially a soap opera in space. This actually gives you... What, as in the original trilogy? The original trilogy, you, you take... What, are you saying that's better? If you better take the dialogue from this and the dialogue from the original trilogy of Star Wars, they're both about the same level. The performances in this, I'll give you, Dane DeHaan is terrible. But then the, the issue is... And it's probably on the same level as Mark Hamill get, in those original films. But if you can get actors around them oh, who yeah. can perform if, that bad dialogue successfully... Then you get a better film, which is why Star Wars is still being. I will maintain that if you well, movie. if you get a better actor in to do Dane DeHaan's performance in this, to, to do his role in this, not his performance. But, but they didn't, and that's the problem. So this, but Mark Hamill is a huge problem in the original trilogy of Star Wars. He drags those films down. I, I, he is not. No one will try and defend him to the same level that they would say, "Oh, Harrison Ford was great in that." You know, Carrie Fisher was great in those. And those are good points. I agree with that. Mark Hamill is terrible in those three films. And the script is awful because George Lucas cannot tell story. He suffers from the same problem that Luke Besson does in this, where he tries to throw too much in and it ends up a jumbled mess. Those films need re-examining because they are not as good as people would maintain they are. Well, you, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say Star Wars is the best thing ever because, you know, I'm not, mm. I don't have that attachment. But I can still say they're, I would say they are much better than this because I think this tries to blind you 
with pretty CGI and pretty set pieces to go, oh, look, this is space. Mm. But behind all that is woeful writing, woeful pacing, woeful acting. I think the pacing is fine in this film. I think it's just the, the dialogue around... The dialogue that you're experiencing is not good dialogue. But the same is the same is true for those original three Star Wars films. And they try and blind you in that with going planet hopping to different planets and showing you all this different space stuff. The fact that it's practical effects and sort of costumes and puppets at that point mm-hmm. is now transposed by the fact that in this modern day, you don't do that. You do CGI. It's what they had to do with the sequel, uh, the prequel trilogy, and mm-hmm. it didn't work there. The oh, CGI no, here... If you, if you were saying to me, this is better than a prequel trilogy... I would say Oh, it's yes. a thousand times better than the prequel trilogy, but I think it's on a level at least with those original films because I think if you look at those, that's all they're trying to do in those films. You go into Mos Eisley Cantina, it shows you 50,000 different aliens in there, and all you're getting is a story of good versus evil. In this, the story is not good versus evil, it's these two special agents go on missions. The, the I problem, would like to see more of that. The problem Valerian will always have is that Valerian was the inspiration for so many things. Mm. It's the John Carter situation, where John Carter was the... Um, the inspiration for Star Wars. For so much, yeah. That when you then come to do that that origin... People are going to say it's old hat. It's 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 done. How do you make that interesting? And I don't think they did it. I And yes, Luke Besson obviously came into this with an idea, and he obviously went, I've got all these different creatures, and you know, they've done great with creature design, because they've definitely made lots of creatures. Mm. But... I think if you do sci-fi, if you're just going to throw things in front of me, let's take the whole Star Wars thing out of mm. the way for a second. Let's focus purely on Valerian. If you're going to do sci-fi, I want a story about people. I don't care if they're human or alien. I want a story that connects with me. It's why I still think Sunshine's one of the best sci-fi I've seen in recent times, because that is about the people. Yeah. Um, you know, we saw Arrival last year. Yeah. A great sci-fi. Yeah. Because it's about the people. It's about their journey. There is a story that you can attach to. And if you don't have any kind of attachment to that that story, then it doesn't matter what you put in front of me. Mm. You can put the most amazing visuals I've ever seen. You can make it feel that I'm in there. But if I'm not attached to it, then why do I bother? Mm. And that's what I got from this. And uh, I think if they were if they were to do a sequel here, which... Looks very unlikely, mm-hmm. judging from the box office receipts. If they were, I would be more than happy with Luke Besson staying on to helm it. Yeah. As long as the script is written by someone yeah. else. Get somebody else to write And you script. recast David Dan. That's big Probably one. anyone else. Like, like you said, it's a big thing when Carmen Delevingne is absolutely acting right off the screen. Yeah, to the and point where I was like, we, I was watching Can we going, just mention quickly, Clive Owen? Clive, what are you playing Clive at? Owen is one of the worst in this. Um... But the one... Uh, who's the one good performance in it? Oh, no, no, we've already mentioned it. It's Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke, yeah. Yeah, and he's got maybe five minutes of screen time. And in that five minutes, he makes more of an impact as a character mm-hmm. than most. But that's what that's why that section, that whole bit in Paradise Valley, or whatever we're going to call it these days, mm-hmm. it's gone through so many different names, that's why that section is the section of the film that works best for me. Because I go, oh, okay, I get what you're going for. And this this could be what these films could be about. Yeah. I would like to see more of that, but I don't want to see Dane DeHaan doing more of it. That's my that's my takeaway from this film. 
Don't see a Laureline film. Yeah, yeah. Give it to Laureline. You'd just be like, well, at the end of this film, I I told him to piss off. And then (laughs) I went on my own way. And maybe we'll pick up a few years later down the line. Uh, So we move on to... Just just so you know, I don't recommend that film. I know you don't. Uh, Put it this way. If you're going to the box office and you're like, oh, what can I watch? I think there there are much better uses of your time. Oh. Um, there are because I'm about to talk we, about yeah, one in one, a minute. We've got one coming up. Um, I know you've seen, but I haven't. But that's one that I'll be interested in. Mm. I just think that there is better sci-fi out there. Yeah, and undoubtedly, you find it, and I think that would be a better use of your time. But if I think if you're looking for sort of, um, if you're looking for a bombardment of visuals. You're never going to beat Luke Besson for that. I think he's got this sense of scale in his head where he's clearly insane. Mm-hmm. That That is not to be questioned, I think. And I think there are moments in this where you, you see the snapshot and you go, ah, okay, there. And for me, I still enjoy that. And I enjoy mm-hmm. the fact that a director is able to get that across. Albeit briefly. Mm-hmm. A more consistent version would be nice. And Dane DeHaan is very much one of those problems in this film. Um, let's talk about Atomic Blonde. Okay. So Atomic Blonde uh, knew out last Friday, I believe. I believe so. Oh, I think early last week, I think, actually. Oh, yeah. Ma- it came out midweek and um, tried to do a five-day box office, I think. Five-day weekend. Yeah. Um, so, directed by David Leach, who was the uncredited co-director of um, John Wick. Just the first one? Yes, because he yes. didn't have anything to do with the second one because he was doing this. Um, so, again, we know the story with David Leach and Chad Stahelski. They came from stunt coordinator, stunt director backgrounds. Did a lot of stuff with Wachowski's. Did a lot of work on the Matrix films and things like that. So have have history steeped in sort of choreography of fight scenes, yeah. largely. Uh, Atomic Blonde is... Now, Atomic Blonde is billed as, in all of the marketing... Female John Wick. Mm-hmm. And that's really the angle they pressed for. What it actually is, is a Cold War spy thriller. Yeah. That just so happens to have some moments that resemble a John Wick style film. And, and there are key scenes where you would go, ah, that's, that's, that's it. That's yeah. that's right. Uh, so Charlize Theron plays Lorraine Broughton, who is um, a MI6 agent who's sent to Berlin during the run-up to the fall of the Berlin Wall, the immediate run-up yeah, to the yeah, fall yeah, of the Berlin Wall, five days before to retrieve a list of secret, uh, of sort of double agents, or not double agents, but uh, undercover agents, aliases, and all their information that has been mm-hmm. stolen. Well, at the same time, there is a double agent in Berlin Yes, Berlin, who they're, they're trying to track down. So you've got Charlize Theron going over there, Meeting up with the MI6's man in Berlin, James Dude. McAvoy, who is having one of the best times I've I've seen him have on screen yeah. recently. He's basically he's gone native, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, and you know he's shaved his head. He's dressing in these sort of very um, like thick fur coats and, vests. and then vests, always a vest underneath. Um, so he's uh, and the the film basically takes place during the debriefing of this mission. Yeah. Uh, and then she retells the story, and you see it play out. Um, so, first of all, as a spy thriller, what did you think? 
Like you said, I think the way it's been marketed is female John Wick, which is definitely not what this is. Yes. Um, which is a shame because I, it's kind of what I was looking forward to, but at the same time, I was happy to kind of give it a go once I saw what it is. Now, this film, it's very stylized, it's very frenetic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it starts with Eurythmics playing um, in like, the first scene. I, think. I thought it was Blue Monday. New Order. Well, maybe it is then. Whoa. You're going to like the second song then. Like, it's definitely maybe. right at the beginning. Okay. Um, because when the guy steps out of the car, I remember that bit. Um, and, you know, it's got all these kind of pop songs in there. It's got like 99 Red Balloons and things like that in there. Yeah. It's got like graffiti splash credits and things like that. Yeah. Um, it's very stylized. Um, the problem I had with this film was if you go down this by Espionage Thriller, I don't think it had enough about it to do that. For the fact that I don't think the... So they talk about this whole double agent thing in there. But I don't think it's ever really a doubt who that is. No. For, for myself, anyway. it was and so, Absolutely so not. So the yeah. espionage and intrigue part wasn't strong enough. Nor was the kind of spy thriller side of it, either. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it does come into its own, this film, is when you get the action scenes, when you get the fight scenes. Mm. So there's a... Um, stairway fight basically yes. which is incredible like it's a really great watch and you see that not only does Charlie's Ferran ha- completely have the capability to pull this stuff off yeah. which we got an idea of in Mad Max which has got the physicality yeah. and things like that to pull off but also that the director really knows how to nail this sort of action yeah and it it makes you think oh, okay if this was the kind of film you wanted to make throughout, I would have been delighted about that. Yeah. Because you've clearly got an actor here who is perfect for this. And, you know, we have seen before that she's capable. And now this is sort of the full the full sort of exposure to uh, this is what she can do mm-hmm. in this role. And those are the standouts. Yeah. Without doubt. I think that particularly that stairwell scene will, will be referenced for for the rest of the year as one of the big sort of action moments mm. of the year. And then also the cinema scene. Yeah, um, the cinema scene's great as well. And I think the final scene... The, the thing is, there is a final scene in this film, and I won't spoil it for anyone, but um, that final scene is kind of what I wanted the entire film to be. Yeah. What I expected the entire film to be. You know, a bit mixed in with those... I think the problem is, like you said, it was marketed as female John Wick. Mm-hmm. And it's not that. And... That relentless kind of stripped down, perfectly timed action movie that John Wick is, is not what this film is. Because I think, when I was talking about pacing before, this film massively suffers Mm -hmm. with pacing issues. Because it goes from one really intense, frenetic scene, to literally something that is just bland. And yeah. it builds back up, and it drops again. And it's it's like a wave, but none of it seems to flow. Mm. Um, which is which is a shame because I think there are good moments in this. It's just really missing something. Yeah, I think it's the the sort of mechanics of it are on show. Mm-hmm. You you know that okay, so we've got to build to that thing. So you're going to have get exposition, exposition, exposition. Meet a new character, then we have a fight. And then we reset the pieces and we have exposition, yeah. exposition, exposition. Meet another new character. Oh, maybe this new character has a connection to the last new character we met. Fight scene. <laughs> exposition, exposition. Yeah. And 
for me, I just, I found myself incredibly bored by the idea that, oh, okay, I know exactly how this film's going to play out. And there is no question in your mind about the way in which this film's going mm-hmm. to go. And it's weird because it's it sort of gets lost in its own sense of self, I think. I think it tries to be three different things. And it never really fully succeeds at any of them, apart from those moments in the stairwell scene or in the cinema scene, where it succeeds as being that film. But then it's forgetting about the two other films it's supposed to be. Yeah. So, so you've 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 lost the ball there because you've you've basically said, "Well, I want to show off that this is what I'm capable of, and it's great." Mm-hmm. Not going to die, yet, but it means that the rest of the film now makes little to no sense as to why you've made it that way because. Mm-hmm you seemingly aren't that concerned about it. You know, the plot heavily borrows from other films that we have seen from these genres, either the spy thriller or the yeah. action-y spy thing. You know, so you've got elements... Of, the list, essentially, is the knock list from the first That's Mission Impossible, isn't it? And Or the list from Skyfall. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And, and you just get to the point where you go, I don't know how many films I can sit through that have got this list of names that's been lost and has to be recovered... Before this certain thing like, happened, I did lose the dinosaur man nerdcast list of all the people that are related to this show. So, and I don't, I don't think, I don't think if you want that film, it's going to satisfy you, and mm. I don't think if you want a John Wick film, it's going to satisfy you. No, so really, this film bit... si- it sits between a couple of camps. But can we say though? Charlie's Theron in this oh, movie is great. And perfectly cast. She looks amazing, and that's not a, sleaze, a sleazy comment. What I mean by that is she, she looks like an action star. Fits yeah. this stylized notion of what her character is. Um, you know, she's she goes in and she's got these kind of dresses and things, and you think like at one point she says something along the lines of, "Oh, if I knew this was going to happen, I would have wore wore something more tactical or something like that." And you completely yeah, I would have worn a different outfit. Yeah, 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 you completely believe in what she is and what she looks like, and it, it's kind of like I wish this film was more. I wish this film was tighter more than anything. That's what I wish. I wish mm. it was a tighter film for her more than anything else because I genuinely think she could be getting the same acclaim Keanu Reeves gets for yeah. John Wick if this film was a more. Yeah, I mean, look, the the film's an hour and 55 minutes long, and the problem for me is I just got bored so quickly in it. I think basically there's there's probably about an hour's worth, if that, of entertaining stuff. Yeah, and it keeps you you hooked. The stuff that works is the, the stairwell scene and the cinema scene. Those are the two things that I will remember from this film. I didn't mind the, there's a scene where, um, the, the apartment scene as well. The first one with where she says about the outfit. Oh right, okay. And the MC. Basically, I'm just going to keep the scenes that I think could yeah. work. But but basically, the problem is there's not enough of that. No. There's not enough, and there's not enough between those action scenes and f- between those interesting character scenes to keep you going. Yeah. To keep you going, and that's when you lose focus. And once you've lost focus, it has to try doubly hard to pull you back in. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think it's strangely another case of. A bit like what we were saying with Detroit last week of a film being marketed wrong for what it is because you go in with a completely different expectation yeah, and, to what it actually gives you. And I think this is it. I mean, it's done really well financially mm-hmm. and I think you know you may well see a sequel. Yeah. But it just feels like if you're going to make a sequel, I would, much, I, I would still much rather see the third John Wick film. 
And, you know, I wasn't the hugest fan of the second John Wick film, but in terms of what they were trying to do there, they nailed those. Yeah. And this one just kind of misses three three different marks, but has these two moments for me where I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 I'm on board with that. Make more of that. Be more of that. And less like a Mission Impossible film that's also trying to be Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy and basically is nowhere near as good as either of those two films. Mm. So it's interesting in its flaws, but I think here we have an example of Charlize Theron opening herself up and saying, you know, this is what I'm capable of, yeah. and being such a convincing action star. And uh, the thing is, when it comes to recommend recommendation, I would recommend it for her performance and what she means. Yeah. And for those things that do think, but don't expect it to be something like it isn't. It's not going to yeah, blow you, you away. You temper your expectations there is, there going is stuff in. There's to enjoy. And if you're wanting a John Wick film, buy John Wick 2 on DVD, I guess. Yeah. Because that's that's a much better example of what you're try- what they've tried to market this film mm-hmm. as. Um, okay, so we've got one last review. Yeah, so um, the last review this week is of A Ghost Story, which is written and directed by David Lowry, who did um, Ain't Them Body Saints back in God, 2013. I don't know why you said that. I thought of Boondock Saints. <laughs> Much better film than Boondock Saints, uh, which starred Casey Affleck and, and Rooney Mara. Mm-hmm. And here we have them collaborating yet again with uh, with David Lowry. Uh, he also did Pete's Dragon from last yes. year, which was widely held as a bit of a success, mm. I think. Uh, and he's, I think, helming the next Peter Pan film. Um, I'd have to double check that Get one. Get back to that well. Yeah. <laughs> Never leave that alone, will they? <laughs> um, so, it's a fascinating story. Um, it's a film that is largely silent, first mm-hmm. of all. Um, that That's important to know going in. Um because if you're expect, the thing is right. Okay, here's here's what happened in my screening. A ghost story is not a horror film. Yeah, it is a sort of, it's a drama, and it's sort of a romance film at the same time. It is not a horror film at all, in the slightest. Mm-hmm. So, the problem is, people see the poster for a ghost story. And they go, oh, okay, a horror film. And then they come in and they go, well, this isn't a horror film. There were 40 people in my screening. Yeah. 10 walked out. And that's sort of, and I don't think that's to, that's not to say anything about the quality of the film. That's to say their expectations were not met because they just saw the title and went, that'll be scary. So maybe there's a slight marketing issue here, but it does sum up what the story is. Um, So we follow two characters uh, played by Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara, and it is essentially a story about um, grief and loss and how to process that and how to come to terms with death. But we see this from the perspective of the deceased. Yeah. So it's you, this is not a spoiler. This happens within the first five, ten minutes of the film. Casey Affleck's character dies mm-hmm. and then haunts his house. So you see him in the in the hospital morgue and you see him underneath the sheet. She pulls back the sheet to identify the body and then she leaves. The sheet's pulled back over. And then you have a very long static shot of just his body on the thing, on the um, slab, as it were. Maybe a minute, minute and a half. And mm-hmm. then he gets up and he is wearing this sheet as you would a goat, as a ghost would. You know, you classic, cut the whole the eye holes out. And that is it for the film. 
Casey Affleck is then wearing this sheet for the entire performance. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of film it is. Yes, exactly. And that is... And because Casey Affleck is dead, you don't have any speech from him. <laughs> He's not a ghost who talks... You know, it's not... It's not to yeah, six it's sense. probably Casey Affleck's perfect part. Well, if you're talking about nuanced performances where you can't really understand what he's saying, here's one that beats uh, Manchester by the Sea because he literally <laughs> doesn't say anything for 90% of the film. Um, but So he's watching mm-hmm. his partner then go through life and move on from his death and process his death. And he's having to process what it means to have died and what it is to have lived through this. And then lives through the fir- the future residents of this house coming in. Okay. It's a fascinating film. It really is. I, I would love it if this film ended with just a couple moving into the house and it's just the start of paranormal activity. And what you didn't realise is this was prequel the, this the prequel. Annabelle Creation did prequels until this did prequels <laughs> and then this blew it out of the water. Um, so I, I would... I only, I'm really recommending this film. I think... It's. I mean, it's perfectly made for me because yeah. it's a film in which very little happens, really. But um, I, I still think that the the filmmaking on show is exceptional. There is a scene in this. If we're going to talk about scenes that have got code names, the stairwell scene, cinema scene, yeah. apartment scene, the pie scene in this film, okay, utterly extraordinary. One of the most extraordinary scenes I've seen in I don't know years. There are there are few filmmakers who are brave enough to film it that way and for that amount of time. This is a film where, where you don't have long tracking shots all the time. You don't have fancy camera work. There is a lot of static imagery and it's perfectly done. It's really, really well constructed. And for me, is one of the absolute treats of this year for me. I it's one that I I want to get around to see. It's just unfortunately, it will be limited screenings, yeah. and it is only in sort of the major cities at the moment. Um, I would doubt that you'll see it roll into the smaller multiplexes, but you might see it come into the art house cinemas in a week or so. Um, what I will say is, if you can see it, I would. Uh, if you can see it on the big screen, I would try. It's really, really something, and. For me, will be in my discussion best film of the year at the end of the year, without doubt. Um, the performances are really interesting, particularly because you've got this sheet mm-hmm. for ninety percent of the film. Um, but don't it? It sounds odd, and I wouldn't want to put people off by saying, "Oh, hey, it's a film about a man wearing a sheet yeah. for ninety minutes." Um, but I, you know, if you can do see it, I think it's really extraordinary. I think it's a great piece of filmmaking and I am excited for more David Lowry stuff, although maybe not Peter Pan. <laughs> so, I don't know. Okay, as a final question then, because obviously you've seen all four of these. If you could recommend one, would it be Ghost? It's a ghost, ghost story. story. With, by, by a mile. By an absolute mile. But hey, you know, if you're if you're going into a ghost story thinking it's going to be a scary movie, go and see Annabelle instead because it will have enough for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I suppose, I suppose that's so, yeah. that's kind of the payoff for me. Is if you are looking at ghost uh, ghost story and saying, "Oh, that could be a scary film," it's not. It's not. It's a twelve A for a reason. It's not got those scares in it. Go and see Annabelle Creation. That will scare you enough, because presumably you aren't the kind of person who wants to go and see something like Raw. Like it, you know. Yeah, yeah. So for for me, 
Annabelle could have been much worse than it is, and the fact that it's as as sort of efficiently put together as it, as it is in its final product, that's sort of fine. So four completely different films, really. Yeah, a real mix of stuff this week that, that covers sort of the 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 breadth of what you're going to get in the cinema <laughs> at the moment. Um, there's some good weeks coming up, though. There's some interesting stuff coming up as well. So yeah. we'll try, particularly before our summer jollies, we'll try and... Uh, sorry, autumn jollies, I suppose. Mm. Uh, we'll try and keep a few more reviews in there, and then there will be a month where we just go... Yeah, <laughs> where we just go, right, we haven't seen any films for three weeks. <laughs> uh, anyway, that's probably where we'll have to leave it. Okay. Andy, where can they find us? Oh, don't do this to me. Okay, Facebook, Twitter... <laughs> On Twitter, we're at DinosaurMan15, Dinosaurman Nerdcast, everywhere else. So that's Stitcher, iTunes, Facebook, Buzzsprout, and other places. I wouldn't know where those ones are, though, because those are the only ones we're on. The dark web. Uh, maybe. I don't know. I don't think you're allowed on there. Pay for episodes on Bitcoin or something. Yeah, yeah. No one's going to pay Bitcoins for this. No one pays real coins for this. <laughs> um, as always, Johnny Neves did theme song. This week, it was... All style over substance. I was just going to say, written in the 1980s. Um, it was 80s Euro pop. Um, and Andy, thank you for hosting as ever. No, You've been, been a gracious host. Thank you for joining me on this journey. And until next time... Don't come and see a ghost story, then start talking all the way through it, because nothing's happening <laughs> to the two old women sitting in front of me. How rude of you!